0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. If you're enjoying Red Inca but want to know more about Fred Spoffer's moustache or the time Vizzy got stumped looking like a buffoon or any other great stories from cricket's past, well, I have a history of cricket podcast called Double Century. And luckily for you, Season 3 has just started. This time we look at something that will please cricket fans around the world, except maybe from one country, because we're looking at the first time teams defeated England. It's a different kind of podcast series in that it's mostly narrated, but there will also be some key episodes that I'm interviewing the players involved. You can hear this by finding Double Sentry in your favourite podcast app. This episode is with a bowler who burst onto the English cricket scene with pace and outswing, took the wicket of Eric Coley, twice, and has been fighting to get back to what he once was ever since.
1: My name is Stuart Meeker, and I'm a professional
0: cricketer. In this episode, we chat about pace, outswing struggles, and the moment when it all comes back again. Now, I have been watching you bowl for a very long time, because I moved over to London around the same time you made your debut, and I happened to move next door to the Oval. So, from 2008 onwards, I remember you bowling, this is what I remember. You were really, really fast and you had a big hooping outswinger, which is not particularly the most normal thing for a fast bowler to have. That was quite handy for you?
1: Well, the season before, I actually didn't really have an outswinger, so that actually came a couple of years later, to be honest. But yeah, it was, it was uh, definitely handy. I you know, bought some great spells when I got you know, the away swinger going consistently. It did help that we moved away from the Duke's ball for a season or two onto uh, I can't even remember what it was called now, that's how long ago we used it.
0: Um, Were they Tiflex? Was that Tiflex? That was it, was yeah, that the brand? Definitely
1: helped. They went like boomerangs the first year. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, it, was, it was good. You remember the good old days.
0: But even more important was the pace. You held the record for a while, clocked at 94 miles an hour in the Loughborough Training Centre in the uh, scientific area. I mean, again... You know, I remember when that happened and there was a lot of hype around you and your bowling at that stage.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, that definitely helped sort of progress the, the career quite quickly. Um, you know, obviously that, that got people talking, like, oh, how we've got a guy who can bowl mid-90s, blah, blah, blah. I would never complain about that. But I think realistically, that was uh, under very controlled conditions. I think it was about 12 or 18 balls or whatever it was, all done indoors, trainers on, no tops on as well, so there's no drag resistance. And, you know, the peak of the balls, there was at 94 and a couple in the 90s, but the majority were probably around the sort of late 80s, early 90s. So it definitely helped, but I wouldn't say I'd be able to do that day in, day out during a county championship
0: season. I don't think I've ever heard a fast bowler basically say that it was wind assisted that he bowled that quickly, uh, which is essentially what you were saying there. You you talk down your own pace. But at that point, it was probably just before a lot of fast bowlers came out through England. It was that period where there was a lot of fast medium guys around, a lot of very skilled guys. And then probably from you onwards, there seemed to be a new fast bowler every now and again, all the way through to George Garton, who you obviously play with. At Sussex, But in 2011 and 12, that kind of all exploded for you when you had two incredible first-class seasons, didn't you?
1: Yeah, it's still one of the strangest stats going around. I can't remember exactly, but it was the uh, exact same amount of wickets at exactly the same average. I think it was almost exactly the same amount of overs or something like that. So it was a freakish stat, two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve, 2012 And I think Surrey had just gotten promoted from Division 2 into Division 1. I'd just been included in the England side just towards the back end of 2011, so I was going through a real sort of peak, sort of purple patch around that time, and it, it was great to be around. You know, it was, you think about the names that were involved in the England setup at the time: your Strauss, your Kevin Petersons, your Keyswetter. I guess who was keeper back in the day, but we also had your Trots and Bells, and you know all the big names guys that still played during that 2005 Ashes series. So. Alistair Cook, captain of course, obviously, as well. So it was a real honour to be even mentioned or even selected in and around that sort of group of players. And it was, they were my heydays.
0: Let's talk about the England stuff a little bit. So you played two ODIs. You took one for 45 in your first one, took out Ajinka Rahane. You went for a little bit of tap in the second one. So we'll skip that. I think I got Doney. Yeah. I thought you got Tawari, Manoj Tawari in one of those games as well. I think, now who's now a politician. So, I got Manoj Tiwari as my second wicket, but the
1: reason why I got a bit of tap in that second game was because I got donied. <laughs> he got a hold of me in my second to last penultimate <laughs> over, I think it was, and did his 20 or something off the over or something, so I ruined the figures.
0: <laughs> then you played in the T20 games. You took a couple of wickets there. Do you remember the name of that young chap? I don't know if he's gone on to do anything since you got him out.
1: He was no good at the time. We were at Kohli or something like that, so... Yeah, he seemed
0: all right. I think he's an accountant now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had to retire early. My memory of that, I've got a feeling I saw you get one of those wickets and it was with an off cutter or, you know, maybe a slow ball or something and, and you rip one past him. But if I remember it really clearly, I think there was a dodgy LBW in one of the Vera wickets. I think one was certainly a chop on and the other one. So not your normal uh, glory wickets that I remember from this Surrey heydays of uh, big hoopy swingers. Hey, mate, there were
1: Indian wickets. So I, <laughs> I was taking. Just getting the ball past the stumps was an accomplishment in itself. So I just remember getting him out. I don't really remember what, you know, from standing at the top of my mark to releasing the ball. I don't really remember too much in between. I just remember the celebration. So I was just quite happy to see the back of him early. Otherwise, it could have been another one of the Donny Hovers type scenarios. So
0: At this stage, what are you, around 22, 23 years old? Was it 2011
1: 12, so yeah, I guess 10 years ago, so 20,
0: 21, 22, something like that. So you come through the system, everyone's talking you up, you're playing for the biggest county, you you're taking wickets for them as well, you're playing for England. At this stage, you must have been completely on top of the world. You must have been planning out your Bentleys and how your career was going to go, how many Ashes wickets you would take. There was nothing holding you back. There aren't that many bowlers of your speed who have lateral movement. So it must have been an incredible time for you. Did you really take it in at that age?
1: Everything around that time was just such a whirlwind, you know, I'd gone all right during the season in 2012, what it was, and obviously been around Lions and gone okay. But I hadn't really expected to be getting the call up when I did. I do remember I got invited to a training session at the Oval with the one-day side, and it was, you know, just all one-day practice-based. And I remember coming in and doing some Yorker practice at the end and nailing every single one. And they were like, why would I not bring this bloke along? But it, you know, even then, I didn't expect to be taken out. So when I got that phone call, it was just such a whirlwind. And even getting to the airport, you know, when you get chucked a little tour contract in your lap, I wasn't even expecting that. I was just like, uh, this is incredible. So I was riding a high. Obviously, you just want to go in and do well. I wasn't thinking too far ahead what Bentley I was going to buy and all that sort of stuff. It was just more, you know, I wanted to do well and and, and announce my name on the scene and got a couple of chances here and there. But there wasn't quite the Bentley-type skylights that ended up sort of occurring, I guess.
0: When's the first sort of injury that starts to derail your career?
1: Actually, it was that season. It was start of 2012 or sort of mid-2012 onwards. I started to really struggle with my knee and it was actually the last T20 that I played in India just before I think I got sent to, to Australia I think it well New Zealand I think it was but didn't end up playing but I also did my shoulder at the same time so I'm diving I think it was at third man or short fine leg or whatever it was and landed sort of a bit awkwardly we didn't think anything of it at the time it's just one of those you know, so high in adrenaline but the build-up of the knee then literally culminated with that injury so it was pretty much both slap bangs you know right at the same time but the knee niggled away for a lot longer beforehand so patellar tendonitis so it's not something that kind of goes away really ironically i'm i'm sort of battling with it again now after all these years so that was degrading and then the icing on the cake was doing the shoulder towards the end of that and you know i think that's when i kind of said to the physio you know i'm really battling with A, the knee in general, because it feels like someone's shoved a fork under your kneecap and just told you to carry on playing. And it's not, you can get through doing stuff, but you can't do it to the same sort of level. Even just sitting around, it niggles away and niggles away and sort of plays in your mind. And some days it's okay, and other days it's terrible. But then as soon as I did that, I was like, look, is there anything that we can do for both? And de-escalation kind of started there, I guess.
0: So, did you have two surgeries then? One on a shoulder and one on the knee. Is that how that went?
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was the knee first. So, both done within a month and a bit of each other, really. Because we were like, look, you know, end of season, get it done, and you know, get them all sort of slap bang out of the way, so I can be ready and build up over the winter and be ready for sort of pre-season. So, I'd gone from being someone who had never had any surgery or major injury or anything like that before to then suddenly having two fairly sort of uh, i mean the the knee i think a few of the lads around the circuit have had you know that issue and had the surgery and they've come back fine but i think the double whammy when you think about the position you have to get in as a fast bowler that's your rudder but also your knees your balance so mm-hmm. when you've got two things that you rely on quite heavily to get a your pace and hold your positions it was quite a big blow Luckily, I had a lot of residual fitness going into that. you know. So obviously, I still had the body the way that it was. But without you being really aware, after you've had surgery, you start overcompensating, and you're sometimes not even really aware that you're doing it. And I think that's probably what ended up having knock-on effects or changes to timings and all that sort of stuff. And, and sometimes a loss of strength you get as a result of surgery. So it was a really big battle coming back from that. Initially, fine. I came back. I think Graham Ford had just been made coach and I came back relatively well. I think eventually I ended up getting 11 for a Guildford that season against Kent. And, you know, I thought well, I was still going right here. But then, after then, sort of other sort of general issues started creeping in. And that beautiful away swing, is suddenly I lost a bit of control out of my wrist. I don't know whether I ended up doing a bit, uh, overusing my right arm a little bit too much because I, I'd had surgery on this. So, yeah, it was a, a real sort of dip to the point where I was like, I was rocking up and bowling, and I actually didn't, didn't know where it was going to go. So it was quite a tough time, really.
0: And when you say you didn't know where it was going to go, how bad did it get? Did you sort of approach yips level? Or, I mean, I still remember you playing fairly consistently during that time. There was a couple of wayward spells, but you're a fast bowler, that's allowed.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I wouldn't say it quite got to the yips, but I think what became obvious is the beautiful way swinger that I had that you'd watched for those, you know, couple of seasons. For some reason, I just couldn't get the line right in that, And I was bowling, not to first slip, but line-wise, it was going that far outside of stump consistently. And I, could, I just couldn't attack the stumps. And every time I tried to attack the stumps, I'd lose my wrist completely. So I was battling something that suddenly I just, I had no idea of how to combat because everything I'd done all the way throughout my life was very much an athlete. Pick this up, throw it out, hit the stumps. That's, you know, as simple as what it was. My mind just did everything. So then, suddenly, when I'm having to sort of figure out what's going on with my leg, my shoulder, my timing, my wrist, my line, why can't I bowl the line that I've been bowling for the last two seasons solid, you know, not even having to think about it? And it was tough because I didn't really know what the answer was. You know, I've I trained ridiculously hard. Uh, I'd spend extra hours sort of working on my wrist, working on my line, and I just sometimes it would come out well, and other times it, I didn't. Know what was going on. I couldn't explain why the timing of everything was going the wrong way, I guess.
0: When you say that, there's a lot of very natural athletes who come into a sport, any particular sport, do really well, and then they have a setback, whether they get the yips or their technique falls apart or their body changes a little bit and they disappear. I mean, the fact that you're still here and playing, it's almost like you've had two different careers. You had the natural athlete career. And then you've had almost everything since, where you've been rebuilding and you know trying to keep yourself relevant and keep yourself as a professional.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely right, mate. And you know, and I think it took me a long time to kind of just let go of the fact that I could have been the Bentley boy. Do you know what I mean? That you know, because when you go through surgeries or anyone who's gone through, uh, you know, a few injuries in their time, you have to learn to adapt. I was constantly trying to go back to 2011, 2012, Stuart, constantly chasing that dream of I want to get back, I want to get that swinger, that swinger back and get the pace back, and not really kind of realizing that suddenly my parameters have kind of changed and I, I need to figure out a way of, like you say, staying relevant and actually just getting the ball where I needed to and in an in as effective manner as, as possible. Whether that's a way swing, whether that's, you know, what going. A bit like Stuart Broad, after he had his issues, he started just going, oh, I'm going to swing the ball in. And he did that for many test matches and it worked for him, but I refused to let go of what it was like before. So you get that sort of up and down peaks and troughs and how hard you work in the gym and you know how much energy you have. And then obviously the toll of county cricket over, not just back then, which was three or four years, it's now you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 years, as it were. And just figuring out a way of being effective is it's going to change constantly throughout your
0: career and especially at surrey there's quite a few big name coaches some big name players have gone through there as well and and some english players as well you know people like gareth batty and those sort of guys are they trying to take you aside and go look you're not 2011 stuart meeker anymore or is everyone just hoping that you will get back to that thing like what's the sort of external pressure that you're feeling you don't have to slag off bats. You're allowed to slag off bats, but you don't have to.
1: Uh, no, he was mean to me once, so uh, now I'm going to say it. no. Um, <laughs> I did. I, you know, I had um, physios and coaches and say, "Why don't you just do this?" You know, just stop chasing. You know, what you were. And I'm a little bit too pig-headed for, for that sometimes. And eventually, actually, when um, Graham Ford left and we had Di Venuto, uh, Kevin Shine took me back on the sort of um, Peps, which was the young. Fast bowlers, up-and-coming fast bowlers that winter. And he basically just said, right, we're going to nail your fitness. We're going to make you super strong, get you in good positions. We're going to work with these guys, blah, blah. Daz and was there. And I just got as fit, as strong as possible. And that definitely, definitely helped. The wrist and you know the arm and those, those sorts of issues, they were still there. But that's, the pace was obviously there. It's just that I then suddenly had a bit more control over line and a bit more control over consistency because I could hold the positions I needed to. Then, obviously, we had Di Venuto come in as sorry coach when Graham Ford left for Sri Lanka again. And he just basically said to me, he said, mate, I'm not bothered whether you're trying to swing it or what you're trying to do. In fact, you could hold a crossing for all I care. I just want you to bowl as fast as you possibly can. And I think the timing of all that stuff that I'd done in the winter with Kevin Shine and with, with, the, with the peps and... All the hard work that was put into me, then, and then having Diva come in and just take that handbrake off and that worry away, it helped keep me relevant. You know, get me back into sort of contention for doing well. And so suddenly, I, I found myself back in the side and just running in and just trying to bash the wick as hard as I possibly could. The lads, you know, they were good to me. They said, "Mate, you don't need to bother or worry about swinging it. Just." try and bowl fast, try and hit people on the head and be a hit-the-deck kind of bowler. And, you know, it worked quite well. I got 25-something-ish, 27 wickets or whatever it was that season. And I kind of thought, well, here we go. I could potentially keep doing this here. And then I kind of realised doing that day in, day out, however many championship games throughout a year, takes its toll the older you get. And then obviously playing a few one-days and 2020s and stuff as well. So, I, you know, I did the same thing again next year and went Okay, a few varying results here and there. We also signed Footy, so he kind of left hand kept me out the side a little bit. But the following year, when we brought in Mornay Morkel, I kind of went, Well, he's basically going to do the role that they would want me to do. So I kind of, mm. you know, I kind of looked at what I was doing, kind of looked at my body in bits at the end of the season, you know, as I couldn't get through a seat. Well, a game or a day of training without having anti-inflammatories or some form of pain medication because it was sore. Polling is, is not fun, kids. And, you know, I kind of was like, look, if we're going to have more than inside featuring taking my spot, I've got to get that away. So I've got to work on my skills. I've got to upskill again. So I worked tirelessly and trying to get that right. But, you know, there were times when it got right or came right, but it was just inconsistent. You know, unfortunately pace can only get you so far these days when you're playing at the Oval, you know, you have to have some form of skill and some form of movement through the air, um, unless you're Morning Walker, of course, seven foot <laughs> And, um, you know, and then it just sort of didn't pan out really, and I didn't play very much that year. That was the year we won the championship. I think I played one game on the flattest wicket known to man against Worcester, and then in came Morning Walker and we won 10 on the bounce. <laughs>
0: was that, that period, you had gone on a long time without playing first-class cricket before that game at Worcester, hadn't you? And then you came back and didn't you play in one of the world record scores or something at one of those grounds? Or was that Kent?
1: That was Kent. That was last year. And I had just about forgotten about that until oh, you mentioned it. <laughs> no. Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> oh, for some reason, I was thinking it was Worcester, but it was Kent, wasn't it? Yeah. Kent have had some very good, ridiculous pitches that you've got up again. Uh, we, we won't, I won't mention uh, that particular comeback. One thing I'm interested in, you talked about, you know, bowling's not for kids and everything. And, you know, I spent a lot of time with Alex Tudor and he coaches, obviously, a a lot of young bowlers. And one of the first things he says to them is, look, there's no point doing this unless you're willing to basically have your body, you know, rot away. Very honest with those kids. And, you know, I've talked to Tamar Mills before who... You know, I said to, to him, oh, there's no reason why he couldn't, when he's in later life, come back and bowl in first class cricket again or test cricket the way that, you know, someone like Mitchell Johnson did and and Sean Tate even tried to do it very late in his career as well. And he's just like, no, like, shh, shh. you have continued to be as much as possible a three format bowler, right? That is an extra strain on yourself. Now, I know part of that is just because you're a professional and you like to be paid, which is very fair enough. But at any stage, did you think I should just do one or the other?
1: Um no, <laughs> I think I've, I've always been pigeonholed as someone who's better suited to the Red Bull game because, you know, that, that X-Factor pace, you know, when it's there is it's always going to be threatening and taking wickets and all that sort of stuff. But, and, and I think perhaps because I didn't have a, a back of the hand, so ball, down back delivery, they didn't see me as much of a, a, you know, a sort of one day kind of death bowler. And uh, unfortunately sorry, we had, you know, Gets of them, you know, especially when we had the two currents came in, Jade obviously had nailed down that sort of spot for years and then Clark came in, Jordan Clark so the only type of bowler that I managed to fit in in one day stuff with Surrey was the hit the deck sort of um, Liam Plunkett kind of role in the middle overs and I did that under Diver for a couple of seasons and then sort of didn't play much again after that. But I've always seen myself as someone that can play all forms. You look at Mark Wood, he's got good skills, but anyone who can nail a 90 mile an hour Yorker, good good luck at hitting that out of the ground, you know? So plus bowling four overs in a game is a darn sight more appealing to a fast bowler than bowling 40 overs during a championship fixture. So I will never let go of that. <laughs> I've always been someone that I want to, I want to play all forms of cricket. I, I didn't want to be a, oh, hello cat, excuse me. Um, I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt to you because he's going to keep me out. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all
0: happening here. That period then, when Surrey basically have your position filled, I read your interview with Nick Friend. It's really interesting. You know, th- there was obviously a period there where your body wasn't allowing you to do what you thought it should do. Your mind starts to wander. We talked about how hard fast bowling is. It seems like there was quite a few times where you kind of thought to yourself, "Why am I even doing this anymore?" Well, love of the game initially, I and. Mean, I've always been someone,
1: whenever I put my mind to something, I've I've always been sort of all in. You know, I always wanted to sort of play it as high a level as possible. And I think once, obviously, I achieved that and I kind of didn't want to let go of that initially. So I was always like, well, wouldn't this be a great story to be someone who sort of went and disappeared and worked the socks off and got back into contention? And, you know, I almost did. With those years under Divenuto, I ended up getting back into the England A of So... There have been times, of course there have where you're kind of like, Do I really enjoy this? You know, is it really worth like Chute says, putting your body on the line, knowing that you might have to have hip replacements, knee replacements, you know, potentially have no cartilage left in your knee and your ankle. And it, it plays in my, mind, of course it does. Especially if you if you know that you're not able to perform how you want to perform. It's a lonely place. So, yeah, of course it crossed my mind, I, you know couple of hundred times when you're playing away in the dregs in some second team fixture with a pitch that you know is turning sideways and you know the only sort of way you can be effective is by bowling off cutters it, it sort of plays in your mind i always go back to a conversation i had with my housemaster. i remember at primary school and i remember asking him a question he fought in, in the falklands and you know he was he was a big army military guy i always sort of we went up to him before he left and said, you know, can you give us one bit of advice, one quote And something like he said, whatever happens in your life, no matter how tough times get, just never, ever give up, never quit. Because you never know, it's just that little bit of that mindset could be the difference between your, I guess in his case, living or dying. And it's just not in my nature to sort of quit, as it were. Obviously, at some point in my career, I'll go, thank you <laughs> very much. Um, but that's not me quitting do you know what I mean I think that's me making the choice that I've naturally come to my end and I want to move on to doing other stuff I'd be interested in whereas I think quitting when times have gotten tough that doesn't compute to me if that makes any sense
0: yeah I mean no it does I mean you went from being an England and a Surrey player which is kind of the two pinnacles of in English cricket to playing for Sussex which are to be fair, you have an incredible bowling lineup, so I'm not gonna downplay Sussex as a team, but it's not one of the biggest county teams. You're no longer in the A setup and all that sort of thing. You you know, I still occasionally have to, you know, be involved in second eleven cricket over the last couple of years and those sorts of things. In your mind, you're just like, well, this is who Stuart Meeker is now. This is what I have to do. If I still love the game, then occasionally when all the gun Sussex bowlers are back, I'm going to just have to go and hit the nets and help some of the young guys out or go and play second 11 and bowl a couple of key spells there. Is that where you're at in your mind at the moment?
1: Yeah, I mean, towards the back end of my career now, it used to annoy me when I didn't play. Uh, It still does. Of course it does. But... I think now I've gotten into the mindset as I like, actually, you know what, whatever happens, wherever I have to be, I am still getting paid to do something that I've enjoyed since I was six years old. And like you say, I still love it. And I'll tell you why I, I really do enjoy now, Yeah, you know, even though I'm saying I'm a wise old hat at the age of 32, I think it's cause I'm, we've been playing with 16 year olds most of the time. So I feel like I'm 50. <laughs> um, I really enjoy giving Those little bits of insights, a little bit of advice to, you know, the young quicks coming through now, because they look at me like they think I know what I'm talking about, which is a great feeling in itself. But it's just that I'm giving back to some other guys who I hope and I want to go on and do extremely well throughout their careers, because the game's no longer about me, if that makes any sense. It's about who's upcoming, who's the new star. It's not that I've had my time necessarily, but it's just... I just enjoy being a part of someone else's journey and helping them in whatever manner I can. I guess so. I've enjoyed it, yes. Of course, there's, there's still times where you're like, Come on, I want to play, and but you've just got to take the rough with the smooth and and appreciate what you do have. And even still having a job and a career during coronavirus at the moment is an absolute blessing in itself. And it's not only something that I'm lucky to have a job, but I'm still lucky to have something that I have done and enjoyed doing for most of my life, all my life.
0: We talked about before the sort of two careers that you had, the sort of natural cricketer and this sort of man-made, self-made sort of cricketer that you are now. Do you enjoy the game more now that you understand more about it and that all the sort of natural things that came to you before that you just did, as you said, you picked up the ball and you went at it. Do you enjoy the substitutes of the game now in a way that perhaps you didn't when you were younger?
1: Yeah, I understand them more. I just wish I understood them a lot earlier in my career. (laughs)
0: I have a real appreciation
1: for high skill and watching people perform at the absolute sort of nth degree of skill and and performance is a real joy uh, because you know how hard it is to not only do it occasionally, but to do it consistently. And yeah, I mean, I'd like some of it to come back my way, (laughs) but I definitely, definitely appreciate um, the game having now gone through a fairly lengthy career and seeing how hard it can be to be consistently good over a long period of time. And I really envy people who have been able to do that throughout their entire careers and long careers of that.
0: And when you come in now with all your experience and your sore knee and all those sorts of things, and you come in and you bowl just an incredible outswinger at 90 miles an hour, And it just feels right. There must be a real rush in that, that you've gone through everything. And it's just like, one of them just comes out right. It's not too wide outside of stump. It's at the stumps. It's not slipping down leg. It's swinging away. It must feel like you've kind of achieved something there. Whereas before it was all so natural that it just happened. And now it must be feel like, yeah, that was me. I did that. That was a great thing.
1: Yeah. I just wish that Nick it. (laughs) And that's what keeps in the game. It's the same as playing golf when you have a terrible round. But that one shot you hit that you chipped and it went straight in the hole and you're sort of running around with the shirt above your head. It's the same thing with cricket to a certain degree when you have those spells. A lot of the time, you know, I said this in the article for Cricket Info as well. Cricket is a game of failure. The majority of the time, you're going to fail. It's a rarity for someone to come in and score 100 every single game. It's, it doesn't happen. And therefore, when it does happen, you go, I've had a great day, you feel a million dollars, you feel on top of the world that the game has chosen you today to be the winner, the, the one that did well. And that's why we love it. That's why we keep coming back. That's why we keep waiting for that away stringer to be nicked to the, the, the keeper rather than the half volley down leg side that, you know, strangles him. <laughs> so I still love it. And, I, and there's days where trash all over my Instagram. A couple of balls are bowled in the next and I was back. Was booming the away stringer again. And it, I had real high hopes in that. That's what we live for, I guess. But just maybe a bit more consistent.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Cheers. Everybody. Thanks for listening to Red Inca. There is more information on my guests available in the show notes, including their Twitter profiles, if they have one. This is the important bit, though. Please review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere, really. Share it on all the social medias and just get it out there. If you can, act it out in plays on your balcony with your loved ones. This podcast is made possible by the people who support us at Patreon, so thanks to those who already do. And there is a link to Patreon in the show notes as well. Red Inca is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes everything sound better for your ears and the theme tune is called The Prisoner by the Red Crickets.